Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in today's episode, I speak with one of the founders of Clinker Apps, Luke Clinker, which at the time of this recording currently has the number one spot in the top paid social apps on the Play Store with his Twitter client app, Talon. We talk about his rise to success as an independent app developer, the pros and cons of freemium versus paid revenue, supporting hundreds of thousands of users by himself, open sourcing one of his biggest apps, and the steps he would take today to launch a successful app if he had to do it all over again. Now on to the show. So the first thing that I wanted to speak about before we get to the Android development stuff is Spartan races. So so while I was doing a bit of research, I saw that you've done a bunch of Spartan races and then you've just recently, I think it was last October, you made it to the elite podium. So what was that like? Because I've done, I think I've done maybe four, but my Spartan races are after the midday slot. So that tells you how serious it is. Um, <laughs> and, my, and my goal is to finish and preferably not get injured. So how was that? Yeah, so um, I've been doing Spartan races for a number of years now. Uh, I started doing them with my brother. Uh, he moved, my twin brother, he moved out to California, actually. So they, they have a lot of races out there. Not near as many where I'm at. I live in Iowa here. Uh, but it was a great way for me to just stay in touch with him, I guess, and meet up with him on the weekends. So I, I do obviously not as many this year, but I have done many, many, many races. And yeah, we started competing at the elite level last year. Um, and by the end of the season, both of us had won a few races, been on the podium a number of times, and I continued that into the into the start of this season but then obviously uh the world is starting to burn down so <laughs> i mean to me right now just thinking about it, the idea of a spartan race just seems like the furthest thing from everybody's mind because right now <laughs> all you'd be thinking is oh my god social distancing uh, yeah yeah but they're they're super fun i i just i love love doing them i love the challenge i love the training i i i've never really been a runner in my life so i was a uh, I swam in college. I played water polo then after I got done swimming. And uh, so I've been, I would say I've had an athletic lifestyle, but I've never really been a runner. But just these last few years, I mean, I've been super passionate about this this racing thing. And yeah, just continued to, continued to get better and better, I guess. All right, cool. So for anybody listening that's not into Spartan races, I'll move on to what I actually brought you here to talk about, which is <laughs> app development. To start off with, so in, I think this is right, two, 2014 was the first app, right? Um, Probably more like 2013. We released uh, Sliding Messaging is what it's called. So I remember when it came out and at the time, if you're an Android enthusiast, there was only two SMS apps that anybody would recommend and one was chomp sms and it's been killing my brain to try and remember the other one and i can't and then sliding messaging came out and it made a bunch of headlines and suddenly everyone was really excited and it had kind of come out of nowhere so before we get to that how did you get into app development and what was impetus behind sliding messaging and also i'm kind of interested in why you went in terms of app development why did you go the android route and not ios back then well, I can answer the Android versus iOS extremely easy. iOS, you can't make an app like that. Our, our big hitter, our first ever app, um, and I'm talking about my brother and I, uh, the one that works at Google I talked about earlier. He's my twin, and um, we had started kind of just playing around with 
coding in general. During high school, we'd taken a couple classes and found we liked it. And then it was our freshman year in college that we really started building sliding messaging. And But we went with Android because that was just what the platform that it was possible on, I guess. iOS, uh, they still, you still can't make an SMS app on iOS. So uh, just more restrictive, you know, and that has its pros and cons, but that is what pushed us towards Android. Okay, so what was what was the inspiration behind sliding messaging? Like what made you make that your first app? So really the inspiration there was uh, Google had just come out like, In Android in general, um, before Android 4.0, there was really no design. There was really no no one focusing on design. They were just, there was a lot of really cool apps. They had a lot of really cool functionality. But then Google kind of started releasing this hollow design language. And we thought, hey, there are some really cool components here that we haven't seen before. So let's build an app around these really cool design components. And one of them uh, was called the view pager and view pagers are still around today. I mean, but that's kind of what sliding messaging was built on is this view pager. And we just wanted to find an app that was cool that we would use every day that was built around this view pager. So that was our inspiration. I think it's a little bit different. Uh, Obviously, we use text messaging a lot, but it wasn't necessarily finding a better texting app that inspired us to start sliding messaging. It was more just, hey, let's try and build something around this component, this new component, this cool component that we like. So then I guess leading on from that question, like I said, when it came out, I I remember when it came out because I remember thinking, oh my God, I could have made this app. These these headlines could have been about me. And so so what, what would you attribute to that success? Because it was your first app and it came out of nowhere and it got really popular super quickly. And then I remember... there was kind of a cascade effect where I remember hearing about that. And then I remember a couple of months later or maybe a year later, because it was a while ago now, but Clinker apps, they've released, you know, Evolve SMS and then they've released Pulse SMS. And now Talon is a really big hitter in the Twitter client space. What would you attribute to the success behind that first app? Uh, So I think a lot of it was luck. I mean, like you just said, there are so many better developers out there than us. There are so many people that could have made this app Uh, But we just got in at the right time. It was the time when people started caring about design. It was the time that people started to um, really look for that in a product. So here we are. We are college students, so we have free time. You know, we were able to build out an initial release of this product in just a number of weeks. And um, if I were to go back and look at that code now, I would be disgusted in it. But really, yeah, we were able to prototype this thing very quickly, get off the ground running very quickly, and it it really worked out. I mean, um, there's obviously more to it than luck. There's a lot of time, a lot of energy that has gone into all of our work, but it was really just fortunate timing for us for sliding messaging. I mean, it, it was just one of those kind of once in a once in a platform opportunities, you know, where there's this huge shift to design and here we are. Yes, we hit it at the right time. We made the right product that people wanted to use, that people cared about, and it just worked. So would you say it was purely timing and a bit of luck, or was there any kind of marketing or promotion on your on your parts that you felt made a difference? Um, I think in terms of app features, we had a huge uh, focus on customization with that app. 
uh, you could customize every single part of it, which like you said, there weren't very many SMS apps out there at the time and they were all limited. Like they were good apps and they're probably still around today, but they were all limited in some way. So we really just designed this thing to be super flexible, super customizable, super extendable. But yeah, mostly I would say it was just a fortunate timing on our part to be able to hit a market that was basically untouched and come out with a a tool that looked as good as it worked. So another question that I guess I've always been curious about is so sliding messaging came out and I'm not sure the exact order of this, but then there's Evolve SMS and there's Pulse SMS. So my thinking was, or I guess my question is, why three different SMS apps and not just build all the different features that you've attributed to each one into one big giant, you know, sliding messages, Pulse Evolve SMS app? Uh, That's a great question. And it goes back to what I said before. If I were to look at the sliding messaging code, I would be absolutely disgusted in it. So this style of thinking isn't going to work in an enterprise level software. It's not going to work for most people. You know, uh, people can't just restart from a Greenfield project whenever they want. But we were lucky enough that we could. Um, we had the time. We, I mean, it was our, our apps, you know. While most people, I would not recommend this approach. For us, it did work out. And actually, um, Evolve is not available on the Play Store anymore. So it was kind of sliding messaging. We put all of our time, all of our resources into that for about a year. And it was a free app. So it's not like, it's not like we were doing anyone in by <laughs> releasing a different one. But yeah, after about a year and a half, we came out with Evolve and Talent. And we actually did that on the same day. Uh, we came out with these two brand new apps. So that was Uh, a good marketing decision for us. I think they had similar designs. They had similar features in terms of customization, similar theme engines, we call them. But like overall, those two apps were just an improved code base and they worked well enough, especially Evolve over sliding messaging. Like it had a similar style. It still used the view pager but it was just an improved code base. Like we had gotten better at developing apps and it didn't make sense to build all of these new evolved features and build on top of just this disgusting, gross sliding messaging code base that we had no idea. I mean, we didn't use architecture patterns. We didn't use any, uh, we, we just built, we just created. And that was fun. That was a great way to start our app development journey, but not necessarily a great way to continue our app development journey. So then, Evolve had a fine code base. There was nothing inherently wrong with it in terms of its code. And we could have built Pulse on top of that. Obviously, the main feature of Pulse is it lets you text from your other devices. It's not just limited to your phone. Um, And again, when Pulse came out, that was a super unique feature. There were a couple of apps that had done it in the past. But overall, Pulse was kind of just like it, it was ahead of the game. It was ahead of the curve at that time. And it came out. I think in 2016 or something. So it's been a while, uh, but that was before Android messages had um, had that functionality. It was before other apps really started to build that in. Uh, so when we were deciding, okay, do we want to build this into Evolve or do we want to break it off again? We kind of had to look at Evolve in terms of the future of messaging. And 
if you look at it at that time, we were getting a lot of support requests from users. Hey, Evolve is starting to slow down on me. I got this, I got this phone and I got 100,000 messages on it. Um, Evolve is starting to slow down and it's not, not near as fast as it was. And we're looking at the transition to users not necessarily deleting their text messages anymore, devices having way more storage available. So there's no reason to delete their messages. And that's when that whole view pager idea, uh, being able to swipe between your conversations, it falls apart and it falls apart quickly um, because loading that many conversations, that much information, there have been other apps that have tried to do similar things in the past and it, it just doesn't work with the magnitude of messages that are being sent and received today. So that's kind of where we were at in 2016 and we made the right decision breaking off Pulse um, into a new app and just kind of getting away from that swiping between conversations because it just wasn't something that could have been supported. I mean, if I look at Pulse now, I think I was looking the other, the other day, the average user has 20,000 plus messages on their phone and that's that's a lot, you know? So, so Pulse was really the code base, the code itself wasn't bad in Evolve, but the app's design just really limited what it could do, what, it would, what would be possible in terms of performance. So um, that's when we make Pulse and this thing is gonna scale, it's gonna do great, no matter how many messages you have on your phone. My wife has 150,000 messages and she does fine, so. <laughs> yeah, okay, I gotcha. So it was more, it was limited by UX rather than code base, I guess. Yep, exactly. Okay, so a few questions coming out of that, which is you launched Talon and Evolve on the same day. So did they have like a shared code base at that time or did you guys literally build two completely separate apps and release them on the same day? Yep, we built two completely separate apps. So um, we had been working on sliding messaging together for a long time and we continued to work on sliding messaging, but Jake kind of got this idea in his head that he wanted to come out with Evolve and do all this cool theming stuff and improve the code base. And I thought, well, hey, that's a good idea, but I don't really want to work on Evolve with him. I, I've been getting into social media more lately and Falcon Pro, I think, had been uh, the Twitter client of choice for almost everyone. Yeah, I was just going to say, when, when you guys launched Talon, the, the actual official Twitter client was not the place to be. <laughs> the official Twitter client was terrible back then. And I, I do want to say, like, it has, the official Twitter client has grown so much and it is, it's great now. Like, there's no question about it's it. It's totally usable now, is how yes. I would put it. <laughs> Yes, but yeah, we uh, we made two completely separate code bases. Jake pretty much worked on Evolve um, while I worked on Talon. And again, we were college students with a ton of extra time on our hands. So we were able to get those done uh, relatively quickly. We had some, I think it was like January 20 or January 2014 even that we released those. So yeah, we released two completely separate apps on the same day and it was absolutely a mess in terms of user support. We got so many requests and it was great. Don't get me wrong. Like we got so many new users, so many people that commented, commented to us, like, we love this stuff. We love what you guys are doing. We want more. We want this, 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 and this. And oh my God, we were overwhelmed for months uh, with user support requests and people just telling us what they wanted to see next. And 
and we we tried our best to respond to all of them you know we try to and that's still something i it's still something i do i try to respond to all the user support requests but yeah that was that was a tough time uh, we're lucky it was over uh we we released them over christmas break at school so we had a little bit more free time but yeah too many feature requests is a good problem to have so yes it is <laughs> I'm going to jump forward a little bit because you mentioned that you answer the support request yourself. And like you said, Jake went to Google. I'm not sure when, but now ClinkerApps is just you. So you're the, am I right that you're the, you're the developer, you're the UX guy, you're the designer, you're support, you're, you're the whole team. That is correct. I've been doing that for, uh, Jake, he moved to California around 20, the end of 2016, maybe. So my question is, how do you manage that? Because you don't have small apps you have big apps you know you've got millions of downloads and you've got hundreds of thousands maybe millions of users and they want new features and they've got problems and you have to create updates and there's going to be ux changes and you, like you you're the whole team so how do you how do you handle and how do you manage all of that so i am again very fortunate the apps have been very successful like you said i mean i have a whole lot of users uh, and yeah, they, they do reach out frequently. So I've spent a lot of time the past few years, even just upgrading my support system, whether that be from uh, adding extensive help documentation. I mean, if you look at Pulse's help documentation, it's just like you can find the answer to your question there, you know? Um, and so I've done that. I've just upgraded some of my support tools. Like I've built some different dashboards and stuff to let me monitor Play Store reviews and emails and just monetization stuff all in one place just so I can stop myself from jumping between different tabs. And But really the brunt of my daily work comes down to support requests anymore. I spend a few hours a day probably going through emails, um, which again, like it's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> um, but it, it is hard coming from a development background to be able to uh, just turn that off for a little while, sit down and answer some emails. And uh, I have recently moved to uh, sending out an auto response uh, immediately when the user send me a, send me an email, I send one back says, Hey, have you checked out the help page? Uh, it's pretty extensive. You can probably find anything you need there, but it might be a little bit of time before I am able to respond to you. And most users are totally receptive of that, totally respectful of that time. But there's always some people that are not happy with seeing an auto response. So do you miss, I guess the question is, because in my head, it's my thinking is how comes you haven't outsourced some of the support to, you know, a different service or a VA or something like that. So you could focus solely on development. Like I imagine there's a good reason for that. Yes, because I love seeing what users are looking for. I love I love handling that myself because it just gives me a better idea of where the app is at, you know, where, where these services are at, what's, what problems people are having, that sort of thing. Yeah, gotcha. So you want to be, you want to be the, the front man for all of that so that you know exactly what's going on. Yep. And there's just something nice about when someone reaches out to you looking for support, it's nice to be able to get in touch with the person that actually made the product. Oh, hundred percent. Another kind of side question is that, so you started Clinker Apps, which is kind of your app development studio that houses all the apps that you've done and i'm sure apps that you do in the future so was that was was there always some sort of intention to do that or was that like a nice side effect of all the success that your apps had had yeah so um 
when I got done with school, I, I was in college till 2016. When I got done with that, immediately I started working a full-time job. Like I had a company that I'd worked with for a number of years here uh, around my home, around my hometown. And uh, so I started working with them. And then uh, we released Pulse and things started to really, I guess things continued to take off and um, grew more rapidly. So yeah, I, I then started working for myself and it wasn't something that was really in the plan. Like I never, working for yourself is great uh, in some respects and it's really hard in other respects. You know, there's no time for you to kind of turn off at the end of the day. Um, and a lot of people are seeing that as they're working from home right now. You know, it's, it's hard to get away from work when your office is just right downstairs when you're um, so that is something that's really hard. And then there's always the question, you know, what if Google's algorithms change and they stop promoting my apps and all of a sudden I'm down from making so many thousands of dollars a day to making hundreds a day. Like what, what happens there? So there's always a huge risk in working for yourself versus a, an established company. Um, and there's a risk, you know, taking that leap and stopping working for that, uh, that salary, that full-time job. But overall, it was the right decision for me, um, especially at that time. Uh, the apps were continuing to grow. I needed to put more time into them. So yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And to your point, working from home, I, I've gotten used to it because I've been doing it for a while, but for people that are new to it, and even just like change of circumstances, like with COVID, you have to definitely get into a good routine. Otherwise you just, you're at work all the time and it just gets, it gets crazy. Yep. I, I work long hours regardless, but um, when you're working from home, you just, you got to really be careful. I mean, I've got a wife and I've got kids here at home now. Um, so I just have to really focus on taking time off each night. If you send me an email after four o'clock, I'm probably not going to respond till the next morning. For example, I just, it's something that, um, it's, it's been really, really hard for me over the past few years, but, uh, lately it's gotten better. Do you feel like you found your group in terms of that balance now? Yes. I would say I am in a much better groove over the past few years than I've ever been. I mean, I used to, uh, as we were building out Talon and Evolve and Pulse all at the same time, I used to be up by five and work until seven, eight, nine every single night, every single day. Um, I mean, it was just a crazy lifetime or life, lifestyle. Um, and now, yes, as I've gotten more into Spartan racing and I just, I, I make sure I make time for those workouts, make time for my family, make time for everything else throughout the day, just because you you can't keep hammering out code day after day after day, hour after hour, you know, you need breaks. 100%. So a good segue talking about hammering out code. At the start of this year, I believe, you open sourced Pulse. So I've got a couple of questions on this, but the first thing is why did you decide to open source that app? Great question. Uh, <laughs> so Android in general, and I think most developers recognize this, but Android is built on its open source community. You're not going to find an app that doesn't heavily rely on um, open source contributions, be it retrofit or um, any, any sort of UI libraries. I mean, all of these things are major tools for Android developers. And uh, the Android platform itself is open source. So 
Android more so than iOS, more so than any other major development platform uh, is really built on open source contributions. And I've been passionate over the past few years about making sure I give back to those open source contributions and make my own, be it libraries or um, like you just said, you know, Pulse, Pulse itself. I think every single Pulse platform from the web, the desktop apps, the Android app, the iOS app, everything is open source for Pulse except for uh, the back end, the database stuff. So uh, the reason I did that was just because it is an awesome contribution to make. I mean, there's so many, there's so much cool stuff in Pulse. There's so much cool stuff that I've done in terms of uh, SMS, in terms of UI stuff. And there's a lot of information that can be gleaned from just looking over an open source app like that. Did it affect my bottom line? Not at all. I mean, most people that use Pulse, most people that look for apps on the Play Store, they're not developers. They, they don't care if it's open source. They don't know anything about that. They don't know that uh, if you go onto Pulse's GitHub repo and download it, you, can, you don't have to pay the lifetime subscription. You can set up an account for free. But uh, now, spoiler alert, I mean, it's out there now. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it hasn't. I knew that it wouldn't affect the bottom line in any way. And I felt like it was just the right decision uh, to move forward with Pulse. I mean, uh, there have been contributions from other people across the different platforms. Um, the current web, Pulse SMS web app, while it was finished by me, a lot of the functionality was uh, finished by me. It was actually started by someone completely different. He kind of just took Pulse SMS's old web app. Uh, he turned it into a much better code architecture, I guess. Much He, he used Vue.js instead of um, just static, static pages like I had done in the <laughs> past. And uh, so that was an awesome contribution from another person that wouldn't have happened if Pulse wasn't as open as it is. So I, I remember, so MMS is horrible on Android, or at least it was the last, the last time that I looked, which was probably like a year or two ago. And I, I, I'm pretty sure you guys had a library up around that, that you'd taken out of one of your SMS apps. Cause I remember digging into that. So having the whole app up there is, is pretty cool as a contribution in itself. But one, one question that I have, which I think you've kind of answered, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyways, just in case. So I do consultancy work and I get approached by people where they're like, I want you to build me an app, but they refuse to tell me most of the details of what they want because, you know, I'm going to steal their idea and make a million dollars. And so you guys have open sourced your whole app. And I agree that, yes, as an average user, I'm not going to go and figure out how to use GitHub. I need to figure out how to use Android Studio. I need to figure out how to build the app. And then how do I get it on my phone? And then I have to do this for every update. That's not going to happen. But what what's your thoughts on someone, not specifically for Pulse, but if somebody open sources a whole project, I could take that project and then I could go and put it on the Play Store and I could sell it. And maybe it gets popular, maybe it doesn't. But what was your thoughts on that before you open sourced it? So it's it's a valid concern. Um, and I've actually, I've opened up, I've also open sourced Talon. Um, and Talon is actually, it's a paid app on the Play Store. So same idea as with Pulse, you know, it's like the normal user is not going to go out there and download Talon from GitHub. They're going to go to the Play Store and they're going to buy the app and they're going to use it through there just because it's easier for them. Um, but I have had problems with Talon, uh, people like you just said, stealing the code, they just change the package name and they can upload it themselves. You know, 
so again, that is definitely a valid concern. However, uh, at least with my apps, mine were plenty well established that it's not, a, it's not an issue. It's not a concern for me. It's not a worry on my apps just because you look at like the clones of Talon and they had like one plus download number, you know? So it's, it's like, yeah, maybe I missed out on a hundred downloads between the different clones. Uh, maybe I missed out on just a little bit, but it's not a substantial amount. And for me, it just, the benefits to open source just way outweighed that. And there aren't very many people that are just going to go out and steal your app and put it up on the Play Store as their own. Like, it's just not going to happen very often. Yeah, I agree. I, I suppose it's basically as much risk as it is that someone's definitely going to take Talon, crack it, and then upload the APK somewhere. And it's the same thing as, you know, you're not going to continuously fight that battle for the five people that are going to download that and install it on their phone. So, <laughs> Yep, exactly. And uh, people definitely have taken Talon and cracked it and put it up <laughs> free. But it's like, it's like fine. You know, piracy isn't near as big an issue. I feel like at least in Android as it was two, three, four years ago, you know, it's just not like people are willing to pay for quality work. Yeah, especially when it comes to things like updates as well, because, you know, try, trying to do that every time there's an update, it just, it takes forever. And you don't really, and if you're doing stuff like that, you don't realize until six months later that I'm on version two and everyone else is on version four. And now I have to go and find, it's just, yeah, it just, it's so much more hassle than it's worth. Yep. So last, last few questions, which is one that I'm kind of interested in because you, you mentioned that Pulse is also on iOS or it has an iOS client. So the broader question is there's, this sort of perception that's kind of persisted till now, which is iPhones are expensive. So iPhone users are more willing to pay money on the app store for apps or for in-app purchases. And the play store is, you know, Android essentially is open source and there's lots of apps that are free. So it's not as profitable as iOS being that you have so many Android apps and you've been so successful with it. What's your kind of thoughts and stance on that? So I think that that is again, Totally valid. Um, iOS apps in general, especially games, they make more money. You look at any analytics firm who, who looks and analyzes this sort of thing, like iOS makes more money, especially in the game market. However, like I said at the beginning, like I, I couldn't build these apps for iOS. The iOS, app, or the iOS client for Pulse is uh, it's not an SMS app. It's not an SMS replacement app. It is... Um, just a client that acts it's like an Android tablet would, would act. It's not going to let you use your iOS or your uh, iPhone's phone number or anything like that. It's just like a secondary device. So yeah, a lot of my apps, you just, I couldn't build for iOS, but in general, like I found that there are definitely Android users that expect things to be free. And I have people complaining to me about that every day. Like, hey, why do I have to pay $10 to use this app when it says on the Play Store it's free to download? Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, as with anything, there's going to be people that complain when you when you make something paid. And some of those people, yeah, they, it's an ex expectation of Android that you get all this free these free apps. And But there's also plenty of people that come to me and say, Wow, this uh, $10 lifetime purchase for Pulse is absolutely a steal. You could, you should be selling this for 80 bucks a year or something, and uh, we'd still pay for it. And 
so yes, Android makes less money, especially in the game department. Yes, there are users that are always going to complain about things being free, uh, things not being free and having to pay, even though, you know, they go to a restaurant and will buy a burger for $10 and get a lot less use out of that burger than they would an <laughs> app. But overall, like the Android, the Android market in general has just changed. There's so many premium devices out there. There's so many premium users and uh, like even a lot of the older people in my family who have always used iPhones and stuff, they're getting Android phones now just because Android is really good. It's really mature. Um, so I think that just over the past few years, the uh, Android market in general has changed. It's improved for the better, I will say. And people are definitely willing to pay for quality work. All right. That's a fair point. And then you kind of touched on it, but I had one other question, which was, what are your thoughts? So so Talon's uh, paid app, Pulse is a freemium app, I guess would be the term. So what are your thoughts on premium versus freemium? And also, I guess, parallel to that, subscriptions versus one-time payments? This is an awesome question. I'm glad you asked. Sure. Um, Because I've done done all of them. Talon is paid, uh, right? Uh, Evolve SMS, it had in-app purchases. And then Pulse is very much free. If you're looking at just the Android app, it's completely free to use, right? Uh, It doesn't cost anything to use on the phone. It's only if you want to use it for your other devices. You have to Um, sign up for a subscription or just buy the one-time payment. And I think that there's a lot of different use cases for different payment styles like this. But uh, from my experience, there is no question that the freemium model is far and away the best in terms of monetization with Pulse. Um, The vast majority of the money I make comes from the one-time purchases. And, you know, it's because they, they download the app, they use it on their phones and they find it. Wow. This is really cool. This is really good. They like using it on their phones and then they decide, Hey, if it's good on the phone, I bet it would be good on my other devices too. And yeah, they buy the one-time purchase. And that's not to say I don't have uh, people set up with subscriptions because I definitely do. I'm making uh, a good amount off of subscriptions as well. But uh, overall, the one-time purchase, the, the freemium model has been far and away the most successful for, for our apps. So if, if I were to make a new app, um, it would follow a very similar style to Pulse, mostly everything completely free. And then one big feature, one, one big thing, one unique thing that, hey, yes, you have to pay a little bit for it if you want this. That totally makes sense. And just, just a random one because it just crossed my mind, is do you have any stats on what is the um, the amount of time that a user has used the app for free before they make a purchase? Um, usually it's just a few days. Oh, nice. Okay. Yep. So the vast majority of Pulse users, um, if, they, if they go to upgrade, it's within the first three days. Okay. So last couple of questions. So right now, if you were to release an app, you know, your, your clinker apps, you've got all these different things. I'm sure it wouldn't be very difficult for if, you know, if Lifehacker knew about that you just released this app, they're going to write about it. So if you're a new developer or somebody that's listening to this and like, I know how to develop apps, I want to develop my own app. And after that, most people, they don't know what to do. Like I know lots of people that have developed apps and, you know, 
one install, one download, five downloads. So do you have any kind of tips or advice for people in how they could take their idea and I guess give it the best chance of success after the development phase? Yeah, yeah, of course, that's the thing on everyone's mind. You know, you make this great product and you want to market it somehow. Um, And honestly, you got to spend some money to make some money. So uh, the best way to do it, you need to jumpstart your your user acquisition. And the best way to do that is through advertising. Uh, Google, Google AdWords does a great job. You'll get fine users, fine retention. And uh, yeah, not everyone wants to hear that. Um, if, if you don't want to jump right into advertising, I would highly recommend uh, going on to Reddit or finding some forums or something where users are willing to just download your app and give you feedback. Because there's all kinds of developers just like that looking for feedback. And then once you have that feedback, once you've kind of are happy with where the app's at, happy with uh, what other people think of it and happy with the feature set, then you gotta jump into advertising. And you don't have to spend a lot of money on advertising. What you're really just looking to do is use that advertising to jumpstart your organic acquisition. So once you start getting some users, getting some reviews on the Play Store, you're gonna find that more users are organically finding your app as well. Play Store will start to expose it through searches and uh, that sort of thing. So yes, not everyone wants to hear it, but uh, advertising is a great tool to kind of kick off the user acquisition phases. Last two questions. So one, which is just one that I ask everyone because I find it interesting, is uh, what machine do you use to work on? I have a Mac Pro. All right. Android developer with a MacBook. That's not the first time I've heard that answer. It's not not a MacBook. Mac, just a Mac Pro, the tower. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. All right. That is an original answer. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. All I heard was Mac and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I love this thing. I mean, it's obviously they're expensive, but I've never worked with a machine that's better. So that's good to hear. And then last question, which is another one which I like to hear people's take on, is you've worked, you said you, you've done a stint working for a company. You obviously work for yourself, but then also with your open source work, I'm sure you've been exposed to a lot of different developers and that kind of thing. So the question that I like to ask everyone is what do you think separates an okay developer from a great developer? Um, the great developers are the people that are willing to continue to learn. Like if they make a pull request and I have feedback on the pull request, they listen to it and they say, or we have a discussion about it. You know, I've worked with so many people in the past and um, a lot of really great developers, like I just said, and a lot of people that are still learning. So the great developers, yeah, they're the ones that are willing to put in the time to kind of research or learn on top of all the other stuff that they're doing. And I think that just, it needs to be a focus for anyone, whether they're early or late in their careers. Um, Just don't be complacent with your knowledge. If there's a new tool that you want to learn, if there's a new language or whatever, a new library, uh, learn it and then share that, share that with other people as well. Um, One of the, the best ways to kind of, grow your understanding of anything is to actually go through and start to uh, make presentations on it or talk at a conference or something, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And yeah, I, I think that's the best way to go about that. 
<laughs> my kids are coming downstairs right now sorry <laughs> all right no worries no worries I, i'm i'm almost all done so the, the last thing is just where do you want people to find you where can i direct people to apps twitter github anywhere yeah yep on twitter i am just at luke clinker and on github i am uh clinker 24 so if you have any questions or you ever want to talk you got ideas um whatever you can always reach out to me on twitter uh, look at the stuff I got on GitHub or even just reach out to me by email and my email's up on my GitHub too. Big thanks to today's guest, Luke Klinker. You can connect with Luke on Twitter at Luke Klinker and you can find him on GitHub at Klinker24. You can also check out the source code for both Pulse SMS and Talon on GitHub at Klinker-apps. As always, you can find everything we talked about in this episode in the show notes. If you like the show, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It's much appreciated. And if you really like the show, you can support it with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash buymecoffee. Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with like-minded developers, you can do so in our Facebook community. And finally, you can follow me on your favorite social media platform at lowcarbrob. You can find all the links to everything I've just said in the show notes or at coffeeencodingpod.com. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.